Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. Nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I have a great episode this week. It really, I guess it's kind of a testament to a couple of factors. One, the dish that I'm making that we'll get into in a second is kind of near and dear to my heart. I consider myself something of a connoisseur of this particular dish. So, you know, whenever whenever it's a labor of love, when it's a passion project, and when you've had hundreds, if not thousands of them before, you pretty much have a familiarity with it. And it's it's like riding a bike. It's like hopping back on a horse, you know? It's like you get into the groove and you're like, yeah, this is turning out, this is turning out. So that's the one factor. Another one is that I'm following a very specific recipe from the late great Anthony Bourdain to make the capital T-H-E chicken pot pie. And what I love, well, before I get into this, uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm following a recipe in uh, Anthony Bourdain book with Lori Wooliver. And I believe the title is Appetites a cookbook. However, it occurred to me today that I don't know if that's supposed to be the American, uh, Americanized version of the word uh, appetites, or if it should be uh, pronounced in French like appetite. Um, so I'm not really sure. I'm going to go with appetites, but uh, it's a very, it's an aesthetically pleasing book. It has a great style to it. And I really love Bourdain's voice that comes through in in the recipes. And what I'll do is in the show notes, obviously we'll have the the imager album. I think I have like uh, 36 photos um, going through this because this is very farm to table. Like we'll talk about the, the process and everything, but I'll see if I can get a good scan of all the one, two, three, looks like four pages worth of text out of this book. So you can follow this yourself. Again, in the show notes, we'll have the straightforward recipe and I will have the recipe in there as it appears in the book. And in the podcast, I'll note you know, where I made uh, very minor alterations. And, and, and the alterations basically come out of necessity, uh, sort of. Um, you can you can make this completely with store-bought ingredients and everything like that. It's, it, it's very simple. I, you know, of course, did the whole thing. You know, I, I processed the chickens and made the chicken stock and, you know, made everything like super homemade. You don't have to do that. But because I did that, I wasn't going to... Uh, use only chicken thighs out of a half dozen chickens or whatever. So I used uh, chicken breast and chicken thigh, whereas the recipe, I believe, calls just for chicken thighs. So that's the main uh, difference, I think. There might be another one as we go through it. I can't remember. But getting to you know Bourdain's voice in in the text of this you know quote unquote cookbook. What I like about it is, you know, it start just it starts off and it nails it. It says the model, the platonic ideal for this recipe, 
you know, dot, 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 whatever. And the fact that, you know, he's calling this the platonic ideal chicken pot pie. And then you look at the recipe itself and how simple and straightforward it is. And you realize like, oh yeah, that's, this is, this is the canonical chicken pot pie. And then, you know, you can, you can build on this, you can augment it, you can add fancy ingredients, you can do all kinds of stuff to, to change it. But the base dish is what chicken pot pie is you know it's sort of like um you know there's the 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 constant internet argument over carbonara you know <laughs> carbonara is it, it is this and any deviation from that is not carbonara if my grandmother had wheels she'd be a bicycle type of thing uh, with this chicken pot pie, it is, um, it's so simple, it's so straightforward, and it is just fantastic. Now, when you make this, if you just follow the recipe, you just go to the store, you buy the ingredients or whatever, you will end up with a very good finished product, okay? But if you're thinking, like, how do you take something from very good to transcendent or sublime or whatever? You know, you want to put your own spin on it. You want to really knock knock the socks off of the person who's going to be enjoying this with you. You know, obviously, at every level, you can upgrade the, you know, the ingredient to the best possible version of that ingredient. And some of these might be difficult, you know, like if you're using, you know, it calls for uh, fresh thyme and fresh sage, you can get into these like heirloom varieties of those herbs, old world varieties that are really extra pungent, like, a, you know, a Russian sage, like a white sage that's just extra sagey. You could use like lemon thyme that has a little extra flavor in there that isn't uh, necessarily present in as as uh, strong a forward flavor as you know your regular thyme. When it comes to things like all oh, the butter, you could use a you know the fanciest butter that you can find, all that kind of stuff. But you know if you don't want to go trying to upgrade each individual component, I would say that the biggest bang for your buck that you can get is using really good chicken stock and that's you know that's sort of what added to the the time and the effort to make this was that you know i made homemade chicken stock from my own chickens uh, with lots of chicken feet so there's a lot of collagen and uh, protein sort of mm, imbued in the stock itself the stock is uh it's it, it's it's the platform upon which everything else is constructed okay um if you think about it to make an analogy that's mm, probably a little bit more abstract than what it should be in in the natural world in natural ecosystems you have what are called trophic levels, right? And this is you know referring to like the food web. On the bottom, the lowest trophic level are going to be your your really basic organisms that uh, perform a very rudimentary function, and then those organisms are going to be eaten by something uh, a trophic level above them, you know. Uh, and then above that, you're going to have something a little bit more predatory, and then above that, you know, it doesn't even have to be predatory. They could be you know, different, you know, from bacteria to some microorganisms or whatever, up to plants and then herbivores. But then eventually you have herbivores that are consumed by carnivores and you're moving up those trophic levels. What happens is things like micronutrients and uh, environmental pollutants can be concentrated 
as you move up the food chain. And this is really apparent in the ocean food chain, you know certain fish once you get up to a certain level you have to or you're advised to limit your consumption of them because there could be unhealthy levels of mercury in these fish and the reason is they are very high up the food chain if not at the top of the food chain so you know use a you know a tuna for example an enormous tuna is eating smaller fish that are eating still smaller fish, that are eating still smaller fish, which are eating plankton, which are consuming algae or whatever. So at the base level, you have these single cellular, single celled organisms that might have a small, you know, trace amount of mercury in them just through absorption from the environment. And then as those things get consumed, that mercury gets concentrated in the animal above them until uh, you get to the point at the, the apex predator, or at least at the, at the top of the food chain, where the everything that that animal eats has already concentrated these environmental pollutants from the bottom to the top and uh, they could reach unsafe levels. So to tie that back, having really good chicken stock, bone broth, you know, almost like a chicken consomme sort of thing, the, the quality of that is going to be evident at various levels of the pot pie. First of all, you have the, the stock itself. You're cooking or you're partially cooking the chicken in the stock. So right there, if you have really good stock, it is going to inform the flavor of the chicken component of the pot pie. After you cook the chicken, you're going to be parboiling your potatoes in the stock, which is again going to impart a different uh, quality of flavor to the potato component. Afterwards, you know, finally, you're going to be making uh, the bechamel sauce, you know, the, the, the creamy sauce that envelops everything, you know, the filling of the pot pie that is made out of the chicken stock itself, which at this point has concentrated and reduced a little bit because you've cooked two other components in it. And if you have really good chicken stock, that entire sauce of the filling is going to it's just going to be a little bit better um, at every level than if you just, you know, use a off the shelf college in or whatever box of ch chicken stock or chicken broth or bone broth or whatever. So if you, if you're looking at like, which one thing can I focus on here to take a really good dish to the next level? In this case, it would be the chicken stock. Okay. So let's start off with the chicken stock. Uh, yesterday, the day before I actually made the pot pie, I processed six of my chickens. And of course, you know, when you say processed, that's a euphemism for slaughter and clean and prepare. You know, I cut their heads off. I dunk them in hot water to, you know, release the feathers, uh, plucked them, it cleaned them. And the cleaning is to eviscerate, to remove the organs from the cavity and then chilled them in a refrigerator overnight. During that whole processing process for lack of a <laughs> phrase that isn't redundant, I accumulated 12 feet. You know, every, every chicken for the most part has two feet. I processed six, six chickens. So I had 12 feet in the freezer. I had two carcasses from chickens I had processed in the past. And I had the feet 
that went along with those. So I had a total of uh, 16 chicken feet and two chicken carcasses. And uh, I put those into the Instant Pot for, I believe it was a six hour cook time under pressure with a quartered onion, a carrot, some celery, and uh, that, that started off the stock there. This morning, removed all the solid bits from the stock, poured it through a sieve into a, a giant stock pot, and reduced it by about 25%. So that's, that's the stock that I'm starting with, is a very rich, flavorful chicken stock with lots of collagen and protein because there was a lot of feet in there. You know, this was basically a chicken foot, foot stock with you know a couple carcasses to to augment the flavor so to speak so that's what we're starting with so let's run through uh the recipe here i'm not going to be super specific on the amounts you can find that in the show notes um, i don't believe i'm going to have any links to special ingredients uh for this episode i might as well throw in a uh a link to an instant pot. I mean, you guys are familiar with this. I mean, this was just be to make the stock. It's not like it's necessary for making the pot pie, but I'll put in a link for the instant pot and I will put a link to this book because it's very good. It's, it's pretty. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It has a lot of really great recipes in it. And look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain and, uh, as far as I know, this might be his la the last book with his name on it. I don't remember. The timeline gets muddled after a while there. So we'll get a couple links in there for the book, for an Instant Pot. Um, but then aside from that, it'll just be all the, uh, the link to the pictures and the recipe, which is pretty straightforward. And then I'll you know have the actual images from, from the recipe pages for this uh, particular dish, okay? So for this, we're going to be using uh, three cups of chicken stock. The recipe calls for chicken thighs, but I split it into chicken thighs and breast because I, you know, had to package up all these birds and you know, put them away for, for, for future meals. I didn't want to use all the thighs in one go. Just salt and pepper to taste. Uh, russet potatoes, you know, just a really plain, simple potato that'll have a really nice texture once it's cooked and it's in inside of this pot pie. Unsalted butter. Pearl onions. I was actually able to find fresh pearl onions and I didn't have to buy the bag of frozen ones this time, so I was very happy with that. Carrots, celery, thyme, sage, celery salt. Celery salt is, I feel like there's an episode of Seinfeld where, uh, what was it? Uh, talking about baked goods. And he was like, oh, the secret ingredient is always cinnamon. You know, anytime you have a cookie and you think, oh, what, what is that? What makes this cookie so good? It's cinnamon. Cinnamon's the special ingredient. I feel like celery salt is like the savory equivalent to cinnamon. Um, you know, when you add it to potato salad or uh, chicken-based dishes, it's like it disappears into the flavor, but it, it it it's there. And it's like, why? What makes this taste the way it does? And the answer is celery salt. Very small amount of it, too. All right. We'll need um, a little bit of all-purpose flour to to make the, the sauce for this, um, whole milk, some frozen peas, 
We're going to make a batch of a very simple pastry dough, which will be like a separate recipe. And we need an egg for the egg wash, okay? So here's how we do this. This is, um, there's a process to it. You know, there's a, there's a, a linear progression through making this pot pie that, you know, if you let it get away from you, can produce a lot of dishes and really wreck the kitchen. I mean, my my kitchen went from being spotless and ready for, you know, all the 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 preliminary photographs to being a total mess to being clean again, to being a total mess again, and then being clean again. Luckily, there's a, there's a lot of little gaps in here where you have to do something for, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes or whatever, and you get a little bit of downtime. Use that downtime to clean up, clean progressively as you go. By the time dinner was served, the the kitchen was right back to where it started. It was great. And then, of course, we made a bunch of dishes eating dinner, and I got to clean up after myself after I record this. But the point is you don't get to the end with like a mountain of dirty dishes and, and just wrecked countertops or whatever. Take your time, uh, clean as you go. Uh, you'll use a couple different pans, but they're all going to consolidate into something at the end here. Okay. So what we're doing is we're starting with, you know, you can do a sauce pot. I did most of this in a big saute pan. So I had a big saute pan with the, the chicken stock that we brought to a boil. And we basically cook the chicken pieces for 10 minutes simmering in the stock. Now, if you're using just chicken thighs, you can, you can use them skin on bone in to begin with, because later on, it'll be easy to, to, to debone them. You don't have to like go through and like pre-process everything. And it doesn't matter if the skin's on because we're going to be removing it uh, later on. Um, so you don't have to worry about peeling all that off. And you also don't have to do the thing where you dredge them in flour and like pre-brown them like you do with a lot of chicken dishes. It's like, you know, you cook them for four minutes to get a crust on the outside. Then they get braised for a long period of time. You don't have to do anything. Just throw your chicken pieces into the stock, simmer that for 10 minutes, kill the heat, put a lid on and let that sit for like 20, 25 minutes. Uh, the residual heat in there will mostly cook through the chicken. Um, it won't be cooked to the point where you would want to eat it right you know, out of that pan, but it'll get it cooked enough that any the, the future, you know, the baking of the pot pie itself will finish it off. What is kind of like remarkably different between like, you know, a frozen chicken pot pie and something like this is that you can manage the the doneness of the chicken so that the chicken is just done when the pot pie is done. Whereas if you're using like canned chicken or you know a, a pre-prepared pot pie, they're gonna have fully cooked chicken in there and then you're recooking it essentially to you know bring it up to temperature. So the the chicken's gonna be fully cooked twice. That changes the the texture and the flavor and everything else. So in this example or whatever, we're just bringing the chicken up to doneness when the the pot pie itself is done, and that makes a a little bit of a difference. I, basically, it's I, sometimes I talk about things being greater than the sum of their parts. This is an example of that, uh, where you know the chicken just being done is a tiny little uh, you know maybe it's a five percent improvement over over 
the a comparable uh, you know frozen pot pie or whatever. The fact that the potatoes are going to be parboiled in the chicken stock, maybe that makes them ten percent better than if they were just boiled in water. But all those little increases in the quality of the underlying ingredients when they all come together in the finished dish it's like holy cow that's a good pot pie you know like why is this so good it's because every little part of it is a little bit better than the alternative okay so like I said, you're poaching the chicken in the stock for like 10 minutes, uh, kill the heat, cover it, let it sit there for 25, 30 minutes, and that's going to get your chicken almost done. Okay. Once uh, that period, of, now during that period of time, you can prep your vegetables. Uh, you can, you know, peel the carrots, uh, dice them, peel the uh, potatoes, cut those into, you know, like half inch chunks or whatever, uh, chop your celery into relatively fine uh, pieces. And then with your, your pearl onions, you want to quarter those. It specifically says to quarter them lengthwise. So if the onions like sitting up with the, the root on the bottom and the, the, the sort of little twirly point of at the top, this is, uh, it's a, it's, it's an audio, audio medium, right? You would just, you know, cut those into quarters so that the bottom of each quarter would have adjoined, con adjoined, conjoined, whatever to the root. Um, obviously I cut the root off, cut the little top point off, cut it into quarters, and then just, you know, with your fingernail, remove the paper coating, uh, of each of those quarters. It's not that difficult. And here, spoiler alert, you're only using eight pearl onions. So it's not like you're sitting there with a mountain of them that you need to work through, but you get them, get them prepped so that they're, you know, small enough and that they'll kind of disperse through the, the vegetables, um, in the filling and everything. And you'll be rewarded with a really nice, uh, smattering of onion inside of your pot pie. All right. So you're going to, uh, prep your vegetables at that point while your chicken is, is, is resting in the hot broth. Once your 25 to 30 minute uh, wait time is up, use a pair of tongs and remove the chicken to like a cutting board or a baking tray or something like that. So we can let those cool on the counter uh, because once they cool down, we're going to remove the skin, cut the meat off the bones and dice that up into, I don't know, roughly half inch to three quarter inch chunks. And uh, that'll be ready for the next step. All right. So if you're moving through this recipe fairly consistently and quickly, uh, get your oven preheated for, bleh, get your oven preheated to 400 degrees at this point. Now I did, and the oven was preheated for like an hour and a half because I had so many other things to do here. Um, but it is, you know, it, it is beneficial to have the oven preheated early because it, it kind of, uh, it, it, it gets to a really consistent heat, you know, ovens are, ovens are weird. They say, you know, depending on the quality of your oven, the size of your oven, the age of your oven, all these different things, you know, 350 doesn't necessarily equal 350. It's thereabouts 350, but the longer you let it sit there at 350, the closer you get to having an accurate temperature in there. So get it preheated to 400 degrees. All right. So you have if you're doing this the same way that I did, you have a saute pan with uh, some stock in there. It started off as three cups of stock, but then you, you know, you simmered your, your chicken. Um, some of the fat from the skin and the chicken thighs probably rendered into the stock. Some of the stock disappeared as steam, you know, before you covered uh, 
the the saute pan so you have you know a little less than three cups of stock uh, in in the pan at this point. Add your potatoes to the stock and bring that up to a pretty lively simmer. And you're going to cook those for, you know, it says five to eight minutes, maybe give me a go closer to 10 minutes. That's going to soften the potatoes, but it's not going to cook them all the way through. Again, um, you're kind of pre-cooking or par-cooking a lot of these ingredients, and then the final cook will happen in the oven when they all come together, okay? Now, using a slotted spoon after, you know, eight minutes, eight to ten minutes or whatever, kill the heat and remove all those potato chunks to a bowl and set them aside. Now, let's talk about where your stock is. Your stock has uh, cooked chicken and it has cooked potatoes. Some of the starch from the potatoes has probably gone into the stock, which is going to help in the thickening process later, even though we're going to, we're going to, we're going to use the, the band hammer. We're going to make a, a roux and a bechamel and stuff like that. So it's going to get nice and thick and delicious, but there is some potato starch in the stock. Conversely, your potatoes are flavored with the chicken stock because that's where the cooking process started for them. All right, so you have your saute pan with now considerably less than three cups of stock. And uh, spoiler alert, when we get to the bechamel, it turns out that we're down to about one and a half cups. Um, roughly half of our stock has disappeared either into the air as steam or into the chicken or into the potatoes or some combination of all of those. Um, but you're down to about one and a half cups of chicken stock with a little bit of potato starch and a little bit of extra chicken fat in it. Okay. Now we need to break out another pan. Uh, if you have a second saute pan, cool. I used, I think it was like a, like a 14 inch stainless, bleh, the words, they're very difficult. A 14 inch stainless steel, uh, would be a frying pan, like not, not a straight side saute, but you know, a frying pan. And into that we add mm, a portion of our butter, two tablespoons. Total amount of butter is like six tablespoons. We're using two into this pan and we're gonna get that all melted down and sizzly. And we're gonna add all of our vegetables except for the potatoes. We're gonna add the, the carrots, the pearl onions, the celery, the, the thyme, and the sage. Now you can, if you're using fresh herbs, you can go through and pick off all those thyme leaves and add them so that you know it's a one and done, throw the thyme in there and you're done with it. Uh, that seems somewhat maddening to me. Like I don't wanna sit there and have to pick off a, a, a thousand little thyme leaves. So I just throw the whole sprigs of thyme into the vegetables. And then once they have been partially cooked and they're kind of translucent and softened up a little bit, which is what you're doing at this point, just pick the, the, the twigs of thyme back out, right? It takes a second to grab them all and throw them away. You're good. Uh, some of them will have fallen off and, and been added to the vegetables, but they will have imparted their flavor onto these, this uh, vegetable filling. The sage, on the other hand, I kind of like to cut those like a chiffonade. You know, like you, you roll them up into a, a little bundle and then hold it real tight with one hand and with your chef's knife or whatever, a Santoku knife, uh, whatever you're using, uh, run through that uh, in, in narrow little strips. And then they make these little nice ribbons and it 
has a real nice sagey flavor. Sage is a really kind of thick velvety leaf, so you want those to be really small pieces so that you don't have, uh, you know, it'll feel like, God, it's like you get a piece of sage that's too big, and it's like, geez, is this like part of a shoelace or something? Like, what's going on here? So you get the, the sage, chop it up, get it prepared, put it in there. Uh, the thyme, you can throw the twigs in and pull them out afterwards. Add your celery salt at this point. The celery salt, the magic ingredient to the uh, to the vegetables. You're going to spend, I don't know, maybe about 10 minutes kind of sauteing uh, these, these vegetables on like medium-high heat. Maybe knock it down to medium towards the end there. Once they're done, you can... Add into that pan all of your, your diced potatoes, and um, at that point, your chicken will have been cooled, and you can cut the meat off the bones, uh, remove the skin, dice those up, and then the chicken can also be added. So now everything's going together in this pan. Um, now, I did say that you're putting all of your uh, vegetables in there. All of your vegetables except the frozen peas. The frozen peas, we can add those whenever we have the filling done and ready to go into the pie pan or whatever. Again, this is a, a benefit that you have by controlling all these ingredients is that the first time the peas get cooked, it's baked in the filling. So they still have a nice, uh, a nice vibrant pop to them and they haven't turned into mush by being, you know, cooked 37 times between, <laughs> between, you know, soup to nuts. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are at that point. Now it's time to make uh, our roux and then, you know, build that up to a bechamel. A bechamel, I do, I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak based on what I believe to be true, but, you know, I never went to culinary school or anything like that, but I believe the bechamel is one of the mother sauces and it's essentially a thickened milk sauce which sounds not as appetizing as it actually is. So what we're doing, we have four tablespoons of butter remaining. You know, we started with six, we used two for the vegetables. So we have four tablespoons of butter. We're gonna put that into a pan. Now for this one, I used like an actual saucepan because yeah, we're making sauce, you know what I mean? So you get that in there, you get it melted and sizzly, and then we're adding uh, our flour. It's gonna be a quarter cup of flour and using a wooden spoon, you just keep that moving. It's gonna get foamy. It's gonna, it's gonna go from uh, mostly white to a nice blonde roux uh, as the flour cooks. And you, you don't wanna, don't, don't cook it too hot. We're not trying to burn it. We're just trying to get a nice little bit of color and to get every individual microscopic grain of flour coated with the fat, coated with the butter, okay? And at that point, whenever you, uh, you're just starting to get a little bit of brown color on your roux, you're gonna add a cup of whole milk and when you add this, the roux is going to clump together and sort of not separate from the from the milk, but it's not gonna it's not gonna be combined just by dumping the milk in there. It will look like you ruined it. <laughs> but use use a whisk and just stir it consistently. Keep it on the heat at you know medium, medium high, probably medium high. You know, you can let your milk sit out uh, to come up to like room temperature, so you're not putting like ice cold milk in there. Um, but regardless, you're going to drop the temperature very quickly by adding the milk to the roux. You just whisk that gently and consistently with 
the whisk and it's going to get evenly distributed and very thick okay it's going to have the consistency of like really smooth mashed potatoes and i have a picture of of the roux and of the the bechamel once the milk has been added um, at that point you are like way too thick for what we are trying to accomplish here so we need to thin that sauce out by adding the rest of our chicken stock now the recipe says to add a cup of the chicken stock and then you can add a little bit more if you need to thin it out luckily uh through the, the through the the pre-cooking of the chicken and the potatoes our stock was reduced to one and a half cups and that's how much i needed you know what i mean so i basically just used all of the the remaining chicken stock um in the roux or, or in the uh in the bechamel so when we add that again whisk it and now it's going to have a, a, a thickness a texture consistency that is certainly more of more of a sauce and less of a paste it'll still coat the back of a spoon and it is going to be remarkably bland at this point now you need to season this with salt and pepper and uh, it's probably going to take a little bit more than you think you know because you have a surprisingly you know, voluminous amount of sauce here you used a cup of milk you used one and a half cups of chicken stock, which hasn't been salted or seasoned aside from, you know, cooking potatoes and, and chicken. So uh, let's see, what else do we have? We have uh, four tablespoons of butter and a, a quarter cup of flour in here. So you have a lot of uh, ingredients, like uh, one, one, two and a half, you know, maybe three cups total of stuff here. So you add your salt, add your pepper taste it like see where you are see see how much more i mean I, I added salt like three times like geez how much salt do i need to put in here until it was like oh this is delicious this is perfect the black pepper really blooms in this sauce you know the volatile oils and flavor compounds are gonna uh erupt <laughs> from the top and and permeate throughout it um so that's gonna be really good Okay, so once that's uh, all incorporated and you've got it seasoned the way you want it and kill the heat and you don't have to keep this boiling or anything. And then in a pan large enough, if, if the, the pan that you have everything combined in is big enough or if you need to go back to the saute pan or use a big mixing bowl or something like that, add the sauce to the chicken and vegetables and get that, you know, stirred together and then add your frozen peas. I think it's only like a quarter of a cup of frozen peas. Let's see, half a cup, half a cup of frozen peas, and then stir those through. That is your pot pie filling. That's gonna be what we're gonna use. Yeah, that is, that is it, that is the thing. That's the star of the show. So at this point, uh, what we need to do is we need to make our savory pastry dough which is remarkably simple. This is the easiest thing in the world. Get uh, your food processor out. Now, if you don't have a food processor, it's gonna be a little bit more time consuming. You might wanna make it ahead of time and keep a ball of it in the fridge if you're you know, doing it with a fork and pressing the butter through the flour that way. But if you have a, a, a food processor, you're gonna put two and a half, two and a third cups of all-purpose flour into there, a, a pinch of salt. I use more of a dash. I would say a dash, uh, a pinch, whenever I use a teaspoon of salt, kosher salt, throw it in there. A half pound of cold butter. So that's two sticks of butter cut into small cubes. Now, what are small cubes? Basically, um, I slice the butter 
into the tablespoon increments. Like if you look at a lot of times, uh, sticks of butter have the tablespoons marked off on the wrapper. Well, I unwrap those, cut those tablespoons, and then you have a bunch of squares of butter, I don't know, roughly an inch uh, on each side. And then I cut those into fourths. So you have each one of those tablespoons and you just cut, you know, uh, horizontally, vertically, and then you have four little cubes of butter. It worked. It was a little bit kind of time consuming, you know, all things considered. But you throw all those tiny little cubes of butter into the food processor and you start pulsing through there. What's going to happen is that butter is going to get comminuated, <laughs> mixed, uh, uh, what, what is the word? Not comminuated, not mixed. I don't know. Whatever. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to come together <laughs> with the, the flour and the little bit of salt. And it's going to be like the texture of like wet sand. You're going to use a half cup of ice water. Now, you don't need the ice. The ice will just complicate things. Just get really cold water, a half cup. And if you're using a food processor, you probably have the little thing that you take out of the middle so that you can drip things into the mixture. So once you have your, your butter and, and flour mixed together, start slowly pouring that ice water in that, that little feeding hole in the top of your food processor while you're running the blade. And that is going to uh, slowly but surely get incorporated. Incorporated is the word I was looking for when I was like comminuated. No, incorporated. That water is going to get incorporated into the dough. And at some point through this mixing process, it's all going to come together. It's like a catalyst. You know, it, it's it's wet sand. It's wet sand. It's wet. So, oh, it's a dough ball. All of a sudden at that point, bada boom, bada bing, your dough is made. Turn that out onto a floured surface. In my case, I just floured the countertop. You know, if you have granite or marble countertops, flour the surface. And you got to work quickly uh, and deliberately here because uh, otherwise you need to refrigerate this dough and get it nice and cold and hard. But if you don't have time for that, roll it out to approximately, approximately a quarter inch thick uh, round thing, you know, like a pizza, but do it quickly. So you don't warm that butter up too much, uh, flour it as much as you need. You're making like a dry crumbly sort of, uh, crust here. So if you need to flour the top and the bottom, flip it over, get it, get it rolled out into a rough circle that is just bigger than the pie pan that you're going to be baking this all together in. Okay. And uh, the secret here is once you have that rolled out, flour your rolling pin and roll the dough around the rolling pin. And I don't have pictures of this because my hands were occupied and trying to get this dough transferred from the countertop to the top of my pie pan. But anyway, you can roll the dough around like loosely around the, the rolling pin, pick the rolling pin up and then roll it out on top of the vessel that you're you know baking this stuff in now i have a ceramic pie dish i guess that perfectly held the the contents here it's a, i guess you know they're talking about like a 9 by 13 baking dish or something like that and i guess it's a similar uh internal volume as a 9 by 13 but all of that filling went into the pie pan and then that 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 circle of dough was just laid out over the top of it. Now, here's the thing. It's going to feel, it's going to feel like this is the hardest step. Like you don't want to mess it up. 
and it's so close to the to the finish line that it's like, oh man, I'm like, I'm right there, and I'm gonna mess up this dough. I'm not. It's gonna look like crap. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be torn. It's not gonna cover the thing. You're gonna have all these thoughts. Uh, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be perfect. You're making a rustic dish. This is chicken pot pie, and in my case, you know, you're using ingredients that 24 hours before were alive and running around. Okay. So who cares if your dough doesn't look perfect? Like it's handmade. It's rustic. A couple years ago, there was a really viral YouTube video of comedian Bill Burr, uh, showing you how to bake a pie in his home kitchen. And the the whole dough thing was it was rough <laughs> it was torn to shreds and he was like listen don't worry it's going to taste great it's not supposed to look like it came out of you know the walmart bakery it's supposed to look like you made it in your kitchen with love whatever and he's right you know get it on there if you mess it up try it again if you mess i mean i messed mine up i had a a, a one edge that wasn't symmetrical and had a little tear in it. And when I rolled it over, it was like a hole on one side. Well, guess what? You got all this dough. It's like Play-Doh, you know, it's like, well, actually it's real dough. It's, it is what Play-Doh is based on. You can just take pieces of it, mush it out and patch it in. It's not a big deal. Anyway, <laughs> just trying to reassure you because I got to this point and I had that irrational thought of like, oh man, I'm going to ruin it by messing up this dough. And then I was like, come on, stupid. What are you talking about? It's dough. Like it's the dough for a pot pie. Just slap it on there, fix it up. It'll be fine. So you get that dough on there. Uh, now, however you want to make it look, you can make it look pretty by, you know, pinching it around the edge to, you know, to bunch up the dough and make it look all perfect. Or, you know, in the, in this exact recipe from you know the man himself anthony bourdain just flute it with a a fork go around press in a bunch of lines around the outside uh use a paring knife to cut you know four slits in the middle if you want to get really fancy you're, you're gonna have some extra dough from the edges you can roll that out you can get your 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 rooster cookie cutter and cut out you know fall leaves and a, a rooster and a weather vane and you know happy birthday martha or whatever you want to put on it <laughs> or you can just make a chicken pot pie you know what i'm saying anyway so uh where are we at here we have our our oven should be preheated to 400 degrees your pot pie is ready to go in there uh kind of a just to be prudent put it on a baking sheet and then put it into the oven on the off chance that your filling you know simmers and boils and comes out over the top of the pie pan you want to have something to catch it i didn't have that problem so i didn't need the pie pan or the the, uh, the cookie sheet but i put it on there anyway put it in there set the timer for 20 minutes it is not done after 20 minutes but 20 minutes is the point where you're going to slide it out and egg wash the top of the dough and then put it back in for 15 minutes after you've egg washed and uh at that point it would behoove you to remove it from the oven this is after 35 total minutes of baking time 20 minutes egg wash 15 more minutes remove it from the oven set it on the stove top or the counter on a heating heat pad or hot plate I don't remember those things are called I want to say trebuchet but that's not right uh, set it on there let that set and rest for mm, 
20 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that. If you do that, the sauce will thicken up as it cools a bit, but it is not going to be cool. It is still going to be very hot. It's going to hold that heat for a long time. Um, if you take it out and cut it immediately, it's going to be lava. It's going to be very a little bit runny. You know, it's not going to hold together very, very well. So patience is a virtue. Let it sit, let it rest. And then, uh, look, you're not gonna you're not gonna cut slices of it. This isn't this isn't a cake. What you can do is cut a triangular shape into the crust using a spatula or a spoon. Remove that triangle and lay it you know, on a plate, or in a bowl, or whatever. And then, using a spoon, scoop out your pot pie filling. Put it into the vessel that you will be consuming it from. In my case, they were these large round bowls. Put it in there and then take that triangular piece of crust that you cut and lay it on top of the filling. And uh, it's going to look really nice. And let me tell you what, it tastes incredible. I am a huge fan of chicken pot pie. I, as I always say, hey, chicken pot pie, my three favorite things. <laughs> and then I laugh like an idiot. But but they're great, and it's uh, and this is this is such a pure expression of a chicken pot pie. No individual component is like jockeying for attention. Like sometimes you you, you make one, and it's like oh the you know it's all crust. Like the crust is it. It's like oh this crust is you know has thirty seven ingredients and it's super fancy. And it's like yeah, and then the inside is blah, uh, whatever. Other times you want to really jack up the flavor on the filling so that it can outshine the crust or whatever and it just becomes a an amalgamation of of things that are competing for for attention or competing for the spotlight and in this case everything individually just works in harmony and it's just it is really good uh the vegetables uh still taste fresh even though they've been cooked, you know, they have a little bit of bite to the carrots. They're not mushy. A little bit of crunch left in the celery. You know, they haven't just turned into a gray sludge. The potatoes hold up like an al dente potato. Um, and then, of course, the chicken is uh, wonderful. And that's one of the uh, notes on the recipe is that this is a recipe from a uh, uh, a restaurant in New Jersey where he would go with his family uh, when he, he was a kid and the pot pie was really good except it didn't have enough chicken in it so he upped the chicken content so that there would be a sufficient amount of chicken and uh, he says that this is the platonic ideal for the chicken pot pie and I have to agree it was very good uh, it's very simple very straightforward and man it is satisfying Okay, so I I hope you I hope you make this one. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if people listen to this podcast and they actually make the dishes, or if you just like listening to me talk about making food. But if you're going to make one of these dishes, you can't go wrong with this chicken pot pie. You got to do it. Okay, thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.